Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, February 19th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Pearl River is falling, but the effects of the flooding still remain. We check with local officials on how to stay safe in the aftermath. And Energy Mississippi shares steps on restoring power in flood-affected areas. Then, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, a look at how the Department of Human Services shielded information in years leading up to the alleged embezzlement scheme. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Pearl River in Jackson has fallen below major flood levels, but waters from the weekend flooding remain in some areas. Health officials are advising Mississippians to take caution when negotiating floodwaters and the dangers hidden within. Dr. Thomas Dobbs is the state health officer. He tells us the waters can be dangerous and can make you vulnerable to infectious diseases, chemical hazards, and injuries. We really want people to stay out of floodwaters Whenever floodwaters um, kind of flow over into a community, there's a lot of, of things within the soil or even sewage that can sort of seep into these waters, and people really do not be, need to be exposed to that. And we have heard that there is sewage water that has been mixed with the floodwaters in Jackson. You know, that's pretty universal when you have floods like this, whether it's going to be from wastewater treatment facilities or if it's from on-site wastewater like a septic tank. There will be some contamination from sewage, and we really don't want our kids playing in that. What kind of bacteria or what could result from being in water that has been exposed to sewage? You know, one of the things that you worry about a lot is is if you get a wound or a cut, you have an infection. So certainly just an infection from a contaminated wound is worrisome. But also if you get a cut in these sort of waters, you worry about tetanus. And so if you do get a wound, make sure you you clean it, see your doctor, um, and make sure that you're up up to date on your tetanus shot. What about in the homes themselves? The homes that have taken on water, is mold a concern? Are your lungs at risk of damage? Yeah, you know, so anytime you get water within a structure, it will tend to, you know, form mold. And so that that's one of the most challenging things, and certainly that's one of the most expensive parts of mitigating flood damage. Um, you know, mold is not typically uh, super great for folks, but, you know, call a, a, an expert in um in mitigation of, of water damage or mold remediation, something you really want to do quickly. Um, the, the problems with mold being in the environment are mostly going to be allergies and, and, and asthma and stuff like that, so you really do not want to um, be breathing a high volume of mold spores if you can help it. We were talking to MEMA's head, Greg Michelle, and he said that people who have 
whose homes have been inundated with water may be out of those homes for at least weeks, maybe even months. Uh, We didn't get into the details, but is that because of a health risk to people? Um, you know, it, it might be sort of uh, a moderate concern. I mean, you have to, you know, usually have to clear out all the drywall, let it really dry out. Um, you know, once you get that done, it, it, it's fine. I mean, the health risks would be, you know, relatively minimal. It's just not going to be really a, a habitable environment. And mostly it's going to be structural issues. And certainly, you know, um, you want to make sure sort of any, any mold accumulation has a chance to dry out. What if someone is in the water because they're going to their house, whatever, and their skin is exposed to the floodwaters? What can they do immediately to help ward off that bacteria? Yeah, yeah, the best thing that somebody can do is just to, you know, wash it off with soap and water. Some some good cleansing, you know, and even maybe a little bit of hand sanitizer, particularly if it's just your hands, will, will be the best thing to do. And again, if you find a cut or some kind of wound on your body, should you treat it with neosporin or do you need anything like that? Certainly some topical antibiotic ointment is not a bad idea. Um, make sure your tetanus shots are up to date. And, you know, if, and if, it, if it looks like it's a, if it's a bad wound or if it looks like it's getting infected, absolutely would not hesitate to see your, your, um, your doctor or your provider. The other thing is um, if, if anyone wants more information, we have a Mississippi Ready app with all sorts of information that people can get to make sure that they, they can protect themselves in these sorts of scenarios, and this is totally free. And what's that app called? A Mississippi Ready app, and it's available through um, Android and on iPhone. All right. Any final thoughts, um, something that we missed that people should be concerned about health-wise? Um, you know, just be patient. Um, stay out of the water. It's tempting to get in there and splash around, but it, it's, a, it's a good idea just to keep, keep your kids out of there if you can and just make sure you stay clean and, and wash up after you are exposed to the waters. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Thomas Dobbs, who is the state health officer. Appreciate it. Thank you. Another ancillary effect of the recent flooding is the temporary displacement of wildlife that inhabit areas along the river. Russ Walsh is the Mississippi Wildlife Bureau Chief of Staff. He says white-tailed deer fleeing the affected areas might present a hazard, but the flooding should not have any long-term effects on the health of local wildlife. So generally in a flood like this where it's, um, relatively speaking, a short duration, uh, then you'll have a temporary displacement of animals, uh, particularly things like white-tailed deer, which are going to be much more visible. Uh, and so, uh, w- again, with it just being a short duration, um, it's usually not a major concern. They'll be displaced for a while, and then as the water recedes, they'll go back to their home range. Um, and so, you know, they can, if it pushes them into urban areas, then there certainly increases the uh, opportunity for interactions with humans, uh, vehicle collisions, um, you know, them being in residential areas. So we just, uh, you know, uh, caution uh, homeowners and patrons just to, to be vis- to be cognizant of, of that and, and watch their surroundings, particularly when you're driving in certain areas where there is flood water. Uh, just watch for these animals. Um, but as far as them, you know, being, uh, having a, or the flooding having a, a, a negative impact, again, when it's such a short duration like this compared to you know the the, the south delta flooding like last year um it's it's not going to have a, a major impact on on wild, you know wildlife health russ walsh is the wildlife bureau chief for the state of mississippi coming up energy mississippi shares steps on restoring power in flood affected areas this is mississippi edition on mpb think radio 
Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing a doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. On the next Fit to Eat, I'll be preparing a stuffed shoulder tenderloin with cream spinach sauce and brabant potatoes. Our guest is Emily Thavis from the National Diabetes and Obesity Research Institute. We're going to check out a local butcher in Flora, and registered dietitian Rebecca Turner will share some delicious low-sodium crock-pot tricks. It's going to be a great show, so stay tuned. Join Chef Rob Stinson on Fit to Eat every Saturday at 1, only on MPB TV. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Roughly 1,000 customers in the flood-worn neighborhoods along the Pearl River are without power. Entergy Mississippi strategically cut off power in affected areas as the waters posed a threat. Now, as residents begin to re-enter those neighborhoods, Entergy is working to restore power as quickly and safely as possible. Entergy's Mara Hartman tells our Michael Guidry how customers can begin requesting service reconnections. We disconnected service as homes or businesses became flooded, um, and we patrolled the areas. Occasionally, it would affect some other houses that were very close to those that were flooded. But basically, we we try to be very proactive and not cutting anyone off that we did not need to. And now we are hoping to soon restore everyone's power just as quickly as we're able to do so. We have um, about a thousand customers who have. Uh, had service disrupted to their homes due to the flood. And now all we're doing is waiting for the floodwaters to recede. Then we'll be able to work with them to restore service. Uh, we're, normally it takes two or three days for floodwaters to recede, but since we have more rain predicted, it could take longer for the waters to recede. But once it does, customers should call 1-800-ENTERGY. That's 1-800-368-3749 to request service reconnections, um, but do understand if water gets into meter bases, customers may be required to have an inspection performed by the city or county before we are able to reconnect their service. That's to ensure that there aren't any problems when we turn that electricity back on. What are the what are the procedures? What what does energy have to do as the as you have your your people enter these places to to ensure that you know, it, it's safe to to turn on the power in some of these affected areas? Well, first, you need all of the water out there because, um, obviously, water and electricity don't mix, so we have to wait for the floods to recede. At that point, uh, the city or the county typically requires an inspection of the meter base if the water gets into the meter base, and that's to ensure that the meter bases that have been flooded are properly cleaned out so power can be restored and, you know, nothing bad happens, such as a, a fire. So... Once that is done, then customers can call us, and we can just come out and turn their power back on. It's a simple process. Um, If the water level rose above the electrical outlets but stopped below the electric meter, then Entergy advises you to turn off your main breaker and have repairs made. And then after that, you can turn your main breaker back on. The floodwaters may not have even receded yet. So the first thing we're urging them, as is everyone, to please stay out of the floodwaters. There could be energized lines in there, perhaps, and we don't want anyone harmed. 
Um, secondly, if your appliances have been flooded, don't try to operate them once your electricity is restored. Thirdly, if you just have a generator and you want to use that, please be sure to follow all precautions there. Never operate one indoors. Make sure it's adequately ventilated, etc. And then also, if you're going to be in a boat in floodwaters, take extreme precaution to ensure that your boat and its occupants don't come into contact with energized lines or equipment. So that's what we're most concerned about now, the safety of our customers and our employees who are working in the restoration effort. And we, we're hearing those messages from a lot of people and have been glad that the public has so far heeded the warnings. Have any of uh, energy's facilities or any of you know, any any of your infrastructure suffered damage as a result of the flooding? Well, we not damage, but we did have to de-energize two of our substations in Jackson, one on Southwest Street and one um, the Country Club substation off of Westbrook Road in Jackson. We took both of those out of service on Friday due to flooding. And we were able to reroute all the power to other circuits, so we weren't, did not um, have to have any customers lose service because of it. As the waters recede again, those will be de- re-energized as well. Mara Hartman is with Energy Mississippi. Thank you so much, Mara. Thank you, too. And Hartman also says the flooding is just beginning to become an event for residents in Georgetown and Monticello. Energy is monitoring the river levels there and working with local officials to keep customers informed of any plans to disconnect service as conditions warrant. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, a look at how the Department of Human Services shielded information in years leading up to the alleged embezzlement scheme. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the My Blue mobile app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. More information at bcbsms.com. It's good to be blue. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. How do you um, identify who is a good doctor. I mean, having a license is not, I guess, a sufficient qualification for me. Like, how do you how do you identify a good doctor besides, you know, asking folks? So there are a couple of different things. Now, I think certainly board certification and whatever physician you're looking at is important. That says that they've passed all the tests and that they're continuing to uh, maintain that certification. We call it maintenance of certification uh, in that area of expertise. But there's a lot of other things going into being a physician, and some physicians are just going to fit better with, with certain patients. So Health Grades is a website that you can go to, and you can look at these kinds of other non-board certification issues and areas, like how comfortable did you feel in the office. But I've found that word of mouth probably is one of the biggest things. If you know of people who are similar in background and similar um, personality type as you ask them who's their physician you know if they say oh I love my physician we get along great I feel like I can trust them chances are you're probably going to get along with those physicians too and it'd be a good you know a good physician patient relationship but that's pretty powerful but there are some other uh, you know websites out there health grades is one though that I'm familiar with that 
does have those kinds of things published. Okay. And um, how about understanding whether or not the physician has had a number of serious um... outcomes? Yeah. Health grades can do that, too. There's a national physician database particularly for, you know, surgical subspecialties, and they can uh, list those kinds of things like complications. Uh, But if you Google that on the Internet, you can certainly pull that up and you can get that. And then just asking them. When you go to see a physician, asking them, what's your complication rate? They're going to know it. Uh, If they are reluctant to give it to you uh, or hedge it on it, uh, you might want to check out a new physician. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. Grammy-winning producer, hit songwriter, celebrated musician and vocalist, trusted mentor. These are just a few of the ways country music's greatest describe Mississippi's Carl Jackson. Tune in for MPB's new documentary, Meet Carl Jackson, featuring Dolly Parton, Linda Ronstadt, Emmylou Harris, Vince Gill, Marty Stewart, Tom T. Hall, and more. Exclusively on MPB Television. Thursday, February 20th at 7, with Encores Friday at 8, Saturday at 7, and Sunday at 4. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Indictments of six people tied to the Department of Human Services and a Mississippi nonprofit earlier this month drew national attention. The state auditor suspects an excess of $4 million were stolen during an alleged embezzlement scheme. But Mississippi Today poverty reporter Anna Wolf says that DHS has been shielding information regarding temporary assistance for needy families or TANF funds since as early as 2017. She shares more with our Michael Guidry. My reporting area is poverty, so I'm trying to examine the structures that we have in place in Mississippi that either help or hinder people from achieving economic security. Right. So TANF is one of our primary anti-poverty programs. That's the temporary assistance for needy families. Um, And it was important for me to from the start to kind of understand how it worked. And the question was, like, we're getting all this money. What are we doing? What are we getting for all the money we're spending? Are we really helping people uh, with all the dollars that we're spending? And I found it really difficult to uh, to assess that because of the secrecy with which, you know, the, the agency was run. Can you tell, what, what do you mean by secrecy behind the agency? What kind of um, what kind of obstacles did you encounter when trying to you know get information about these funds? So you know, I think a, a lot of people started looking into TANF once the it was published that our um, approval rate for applicants was one point four percent. There's a good reason to believe now that that number was never right to begin with because there was just such shoddy reporting within the agency. Um, So I started requesting TANF expenditure reports in 2017 um, in light of this. And the reports that I was was receiving back were very general reports that the state has to uh, supply the federal government. Um, And these reports were at times like they were not able, like I couldn't read them. And 
the spending that they reported to the federal government was was not specific. It was broken out into these categories. Like one big category that we spend a lot of uh, our TANF dollars on every year is fatherhood and two parent family formation. So you can you can really you, you can guess what that means, like fatherhood classes, uh, parenting classes. But at the end of the day, like, really, what does that mean and what are we spending that money on? And now we're finding, as um, this investigation continues, that really it's a number of things that we could be spending this money on. Following following what you've done, you've spent a lot of time, I've noticed, and you've taken pictures uh, down at DHS, the Department of Human Services uh, headquarters on State Street in Jackson. It's home of the one of their family first centers. So that is just the State Street Center um, where they they moved from the center that they had before on Lakeland. And actually, there were a few uh, kind of campuses around uh, the Jackson area. There was a family's first office in a grocery store in West Jackson, for example. And I went there um, back in the fall of 2018 to see what they were doing. And there was no one in the office when I went. So I kind of hit a roadblock there. Um, I will say that uh, uh, visiting these centers... And seeing what they're doing was kind of the first red flag. I went to the first families. I I visited families first for the first time in the fall of 2018. Um, And I knew how much money these agencies were getting to run these programs. And I was looking at the services and I was seeing that people were going in there and they may be getting some, you know, referral to another agency, but they weren't getting anything of like monetary value there at the center. And so that was kind of the first red flag, like, how are they spending all of this money? Were there any other red flags that that came up? This is not um, necessarily so unusual, but I started requesting these TANF reports in the fall of 2017. And by uh, the summer of 2018, I still didn't really have what I was looking for. I didn't have updated reports about how we were spending the money. And uh, over the course of 2018, I stopped ha- having any communication with the agency. No calls returned. Emails went unreturned. Eventually, in August of 2018, I'm sorry, in July of 2018, I really re- had I was resorted to filing an ethics complaint against the agency um, for not adhering to timelines within the Records Act, not responding, um, and a month later. The agency uh, established its own office of inspector general to do an audit of the agency, understanding that there were these major issues with their accounting. At this point, you know, whether there are criminal allegations against anybody who is using this money, we can still question how the money was spent regardless of any criminal charges. And Families First for Mississippi was reporting outcomes to the state agency of what they were accomplishing with the money. And that's probably the biggest red flag of all. You're talking about reports that show that they helped less than 100 people complete resumes for an entire year. The auditors uncovered this alleged embezzlement scheme. You've been looking at DHS and the TANF funds and how our state maybe misappropriates those funds. Um, Where does your reporting go from here? So I, I think I'm just now kind of figuring out what I've been wanting to uncover over the last year and a half. Um, And that really is, what are we doing? How are we helping families with this money? What could we be doing that um, 
you know, how we, how could we improve our spending to actually help families move out of poverty? So um, I've seen a lot in the news lately and, and in some of the, the records. We've been doing a lot of like motivational speaking events as as part of our anti-poverty program. And I, I had to say this to the uh, spokesperson for DHS the other day, like motivational speaking is not an anti-poverty program, right? Um, so I think like examining, you know, beyond the allegations of theft, like examining what we're doing and how we could actually uh, be using this money to help folks um, instead of just kind of lecture them. Anna Wolf is a poverty reporter with Mississippi Today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.